Support for Around with Stephen Cole comes from Infinium Spirits, a family-owned spirits company specializing in the import, sales, and marketing of its distinctive portfolio of brands. Infinium Spirits, igniting brands. Welcome back, faithful listeners. I'm Stevie Mata. I'm T. Cole Newton. And coming to you pre-recorded for my Mid-City Bar 12-Mile Limit, it's time for Around with Steve and Cole. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Around with Stephen Cole. This is T. Cole Newton. We're coming at you from 12 Mile Limit. I am here, as always, with the Shadow King of New Orleans, Mr. Steve Yamada. Hello, New Orleans. And before we go any further, I think uh, we would be bereft if we didn't mention that. As of this recording, it is T. Cole Newton's birthday today. Happy That's, birthday. It's my birthday today. I just found out that he's older than me. I always thought that we were like the same age. I don't know if I ever thought you were younger than me. I just thought we were like the same age. I don't know. I always thought I, I always thought you were a little younger than you are. A little bit, young, a yeah. little bit younger. I thought, yeah, I, I didn't realize you were as close to my age as you are. Oh, okay. But yes, I'm 35 years old so today. So I act immaturely is what you're trying to say. Yeah. You're, yes. Just, just, meaning, just a meaning child, to talk to you about that. A child that. in your bar. All right. Well, we've got two really fantastic guests here today. Uh, so why don't we just go ahead and start with our very first guest, and you are? I am Candace Frosch. Um, I work for Cathead Distillery, a distillery based in Jackson, Mississippi. Perfect. And we are also joined by? Erica Dudas. I'm the Managing Director of the New Orleans Musicians Clinic and Assistance Foundation. Coolio. Um, so we always like to start off the show uh, with a little bit of personal history. Um, what really attracted me to this first is, uh, I, I know you, Erica. We first met when I was the president of the USBG, mm-hmm. and you guys were working on a couple initiatives with NOMAF. And I think that there was... Um, probably with Negroni Week, which is an event that the USBG does. You guys were the charity that we were going to donate money to, and I don't, I don't know how much money Negroni Week. We love Week, Negroni you know. Week. You guys love. I love Negroni Week. Yeah, it's 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 fun. I think it's uh, you know, I I've always thought that like if we wanted to like really raise a lot of money, it should be Margarita Week. You know, like it like people can drink more margaritas than Negronis any given it. day. Yeah, so. I, that was always a. a, a, a a sort of issue I had with Negroni Week is Negronis are a bit of an esoteric cocktail, and they're a little bit the barrier to entry is a little high because they're kind of bitter. And so people who are attracted to the the charitable element of the promotion will just you know the, they might not be you might not be catching the right people. People might not be ready for a Negroni yet. There's a better fly trap out there, I think. Right, the margarita, <laughs> but, like I said. But yeah. you know, can't can't like dismiss a a good charitable cause. It's a great national event. It brings a lot of good money, and they also allow for local chapters to really bring money to local charities. So that's how I first met you, Erica. Mm-hmm. Uh, Candice, I've known you for years, is just being you know a fantastic representative of uh, of a delicious vodka She's brand. The best. Yeah, she, she is. We were you're really that. the See, best. She, Everyone she didn't believe us. We, we, we were saying that before you got here, and Candace was like, "Oh, don't tell me that. I don't believe it." And then, yeah, you come in, corroborate our story. <laughs> Candace is objectively the best brand rep in town. Right on. Yeah. And what's really cool? She's blushing. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to Twelve Mile Limit. My cheeks are about as purple red as these walls. Oh. So, <laughs> so um, Candace, what's really great about you as well is you're, you're local. You're born and raised in New Orleans. Yep. All right, let's let's talk about that. How did you get into the liquor game growing up here and like going to college here? Maybe I don't no, know. No, I didn't. So that's actually, yeah. Okay, wow. Start at the beginning. At the beginning. So, um, yes, I'm born and raised in New Orleans. Um, you can ask me where I went to school, and I will tell you not necessarily good or bad. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I went to Ole Miss, and that's actually kind of how I got connected with Cathead. So um, I wanted to be a chef, actually when I was growing up and 
my parents and my family are kind of big into the food and cocktail world. Um, not just aficionados, lovers of food and cocktails, nothing more. Um, so actually when we were kids, I'm one of four and we would have to, one of our tours was to make the cocktails for my parents at their parties, <laughs> much like, as I've heard on this podcast previously, mm-hmm. Cole's world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of, I guess the first delve into it. Um, but I wanted to be a chef, went to col- or looked into culinary schools, did all this. And then basically, decided that that life was a little bit too hard for kind of how I wanted to live my life. So kind of backdoor was like, well, cool, I'll go wine game. You know, you're in the industry, but you're not, you know, working the hard shifts um, for back of house. So I went to Ole Miss, figured I'd get a business degree and then go to culinary school, um, decided I wanted to do kind of the wine game. And then when I was in Oxford, um, we, there was an internship opportunity for Cathead Distillery. Um, so I met Major, who's the first employee of Cathead, and um, now our head of sales, and interned with him for my spring semester of senior year, and then literally graduated, moved back to New Orleans. It was a market that the company was opening, interested in opening up, um, and I tell Austin and Richard all the time that they were totally insane because they hired me when I was 21, <laughs> and I launched Louisiana for the distillery. Yeah, Well, they had to hire a 21-year-old. I think you should hire a New Orleans 20-year-old because... Sure. Like, you know, they've been drinking for years. (laughs) (laughs) And and now you are over both all of Louisiana and Texas? Yes. Well, we have, and we actually know, yes and no. We have um, a market manager in Austin. So I primarily work in Houston, and then I work as well with our Austin rep. um, But mostly I'm in Houston with more markets to come. And what what other brands are made at Cathead, because I know it's not just your your vodka. Your vodka. Sure. There's also some some whiskey some coming out. Whiskey. Is that actually going to happen? Yeah. You guys have a gin. So, so I was just that's... joking. I was texted our distiller. I was like, "Cool, fun facts for the podcast." And he sent me uh, <laughs> three paragraphs. But, um, we have Cathead vodka. Obviously, we do a honeysuckle, which is a natural infusion with honeysuckle, which flowers. is awesome. By the way, it's I think delicious. some people want to disparage like flavored vodkas, but the Cathead honeysuckle is a very good product. Beef with flavor vodkas. It's basically just like a single single botanical distillate. If you want to be fancy about it, you may not, and I may not. But there's there a whole people. world out there. Oh who yeah, just yeah, yeah. Offhand, oh poo poo. The yeah. vodka pays the bills, kind right, of the mantra, right. which yeah. is silly. I mean, it it does, but it's pays a silly mentality <laughs> nonetheless. It most definitely pays my bills. Um, but yes, Cathead. We do honeysuckle. We do a roasted pecan infusion, which is about a two month maceration process with. All the honeysuckles and pecans are from Mississippi. The sugarcane for the products come from Louisiana. Um, Bristow gin, we do a barrel-aged Bristow gin. And then hoodoo, chicory liqueur, which is also barrel-aged. And then we've got about 500 barrels of whiskey laid down. Hmm. How, how long are you waiting to age the whiskey for? Till it's ready. Till it's ready. Ah, that's a great answer, right? <laughs> um, we've Some had, people are legally yeah. until I can call it bourbon. No, we've had... Um, a, Few of the bar- some of the barrels laid down for about, I think I might be wrong on this, but about three and a half years. Cool. Yeah, that's about so the time. So it's been, yeah, we, we had to move them from our previous distillery into our new facility, mm-hmm. which we moved in December of 2015. Cool. Um, so it's been at least a year prior to that. So it's been, yeah, we're coming up, I guess it's coming up on four. Holy cow. <laughs> Where does the time go? <laughs> Sorry. Uh. Yeah. Right on. So, Erica, are you from New Orleans originally? No, I'm not. I moved here about 15 years ago. Okay. Um, I was pursuing a PhD in sociology at Tulane. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, during Katrina, we 
we all got reshuffled. So I went to work for nonprofits in the city. Okay. Mm-hmm. What was your first uh, experiences with nonprofits in the city? Um, well, a lot of volunteership for neighborhood organizations during Katrina, doing um, anything they really needed, which was a lot of transcription of neighborhood meetings, um, you know, just getting the word out, neighborhood change surveys. And then um, my first time managing a nonprofit was with the New Orleans uh, Video Access Center, which is still in existence today. It's great. It's What do they do? Um, well, my job while I was there was to train locals how to enter the film industry. So I was oh. part of a workforce training development grant um, that basically trained locals how to be day players on movie sets. And then we would train for the higher parts of the movie as well, higher paid parts of the movie. I That's interesting. When they, uh, when they rescinded the tax benefits for like the whole Hollywood South stuff, how did that, do you have any connection with that organization more? Did you like see an impact there? Yeah. Well, the, um, the organization changed a lot over the years and we realized that to be sustainable, we needed to start creating our own content. Mm-hmm. So if you go to novacvideo.org, um, um, little plug for my friends over there, um, <laughs> you can see a lot of like independently created content by local filmmakers because I think one of the things that's so important is New Orleanians telling their own stories mm. um, in a way that lasts. So yeah, they, uh, they've shifted focus, but they are still doing the workforce training. I'm, I'm glad to hear that's a thing. That's one of the things that I think is that when people complain about the way that Hollywood South operated and is, is, there's been some resurgence there. So it continues to operate. It's that it's mostly out of towners that are sort of telling national stories or stories that are supposed to be broadly appealing, but there's not a lot of, or not enough is the complaint work to sort of build a homegrown new Orleans film scene in a way that it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's great that, you know, somebody wants to come and make Jurassic World here, and that brings a lot of economic activity into the community and provides a lot of jobs. But it'd be really cool if they were like teaching high school kids how to make movies, right? And, that, and that's so, what we would. Yeah. that's what we so would it's, do. Yeah. Great, that that's, <laughs> that's it's awesome. the work of the small nonprofits that really. Make <laughs> um, but you know, I took some time off of that, and then I I started traveling, and then um, I found my home at NOMAF, which um, stands for the New Orleans Musicians Assistance Foundation. Um, I started as a volunteer and then I just really loved the organization and what it stood for and the amount of direct services that it was giving to its clients. So I've been there for about seven years now. Awesome. You, want, you want to run down the list a little bit about some of the services that are under the NOMAF umbrella? Yeah. So oh, I just got in the microphone. Um, <laughs> Get excited. So our mission yeah. is to keep New Orleans music alive. And the way that we do that is by providing direct healthcare services and also wellness services to anyone who um, is a part of that culture. So the performing arts culture here includes not only musicians, but also Mardi Gras Indians, um, members of social aid and pleasure clubs, dancers, um, workers of bars and restaurants that have live music. Um, and um, we have a full-time health. We're best known for our largest program, which is the New Orleans Musicians Clinic. We're celebrating our 20th year this year. And, um, uh, we have a full-time primary health care center within LSU where five days a week we see appointments and we have a broad range of specialists that we can refer out to for mental health, case management, and then anything from a cardiologist to a podiatrist, which is actually really useful because musicians and performers have different 
access points to healthcare and need different things. So. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, um, you know, this is why we have the two of you on right now as well. Candice, if you want to speak a little bit to um, Catheads Endeavors as a company as well um, and how that connects to local music. Sure. Um, I guess I'll kind of go back a little bit. Cathead, the name and kind of everything about our brand is based on blues culture and music and kind of Southern culture in general. Um, the name Cathead, Muddy Waters, Sun Thomas, B.B. King, Sam Cooke, all those guys are from Mississippi. Well, musicians would refer to those cats as a term of respect. Um, and basically, a couple of musicians, Sun Thomas in particular, who was kind of um, close with Muddy, would mold these cat heads out of clay and sell them to supplement their income. So um, we try and do the same thing in every market we're in with our cat heads is to help supplement and help musicians um, as they were originally used. So every bottle we sell in Louisiana, we donate a dollar to New Orleans Musicians Assistance Foundation, NOMAF. Awesome. Going to put you on the spot. Do you have any idea how much money you have raised for NOMAF? Erica, I do. Definitely <laughs> over 50000 Oh, it's around seventy two. Yeah. So, See, so, yeah, over the years, this has been an amazing we're still gunning for Negroni we, week. We love okay? you so far. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make like, you know, Collins week. or yeah. we Collins help, week. Right? There we go. Then Done. we can help. Um, so yeah, we actually, in 2012 was when we launched in Louisiana. And we, they tasked me with kind of working on finding a music charity. And every, I basically, instead of doing a bunch of research, which I did some research, but I would ask all of the um, live music venues who who would make the most impact. Um, and that's how we found Nomath. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. That's how we got connected. All right. Um, well, let's... What... Do you want to talk a little bit about the vodka hustle? Because I feel like it's a really oversaturated market. And Cathead has done a surprisingly... I don't want to say surprisingly. It's just a really... There's, there's a million vodkas. And other than the 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 dedication to music. It's a quality product. The, the infusions are, are, are well-crafted and there's not a, you know, it's not like another orange vodka. So, but what has cat had done to differentiate itself in an otherwise pretty oversaturated marketplace? Sure. Um, we launched in Louisiana in 2012, which I feel like was kind of at the height of, um, bartenders we hate vodka um there were a few bars in the city (laughs) yeah there were a few bars in the city that literally did not carry vodka um and so we have it's kind of it's definitely softened in Mm -hmm. the past six years um vodka hustle i mean i think that this business and i think that the thing that people kind of you know avoid is it it's a relationship business um so you know the vodka is great. Um, it's a delicious product that helps worlds in kind of selling a vodka and local vodka and that it's a clean, crisp vodka and not, you know, a lot of the local, dis- not local distilleries, but regional smaller distilleries are not necessarily putting out the, the best quality products um, or scalable. Anyway, um, so I think the biggest thing with the vodka is the musicians, um, the fact that they are unique flavors. I mean, honestly, all the things that you just kind of rattled off are really what has differentiated <laughs> us, right? So the fact that we have kind of um, a cause in the music and there's there's a tie-in to the local community, um, the fact that the honeysuckle and the pecan, we're not trying to do another, you know, a vodka that's flavor that's been done a thousand times. I mean, they're unique. 
Um, and then we've, we've kind of, we've got a story, we've got a kind of a hook, I guess. And the vodka is delicious. So I think those are really the three things that have differentiated us. <laughs> Everything you named, and they've got you, and Candace. they have Candace. I mean, they really do. Uh, like, I'll, I'll, I will be completely honest. Like I don't know if they just had like any other like liquor rep who was working for Cathead, it probably would have fallen by the wayside at this point. Like I, I can't really. I'm sorry to like gush over this a little bit, but um, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. after running a couple bars and just like you know when you're running a bar, when you're working with bar head bartender or something like that, you have kind of this parade of of liquor reps who come in, you know and it, it gets a little bit exhausting sometimes when it's like, hey, try this new product, or like, I brought this bag, I've got seven different things to try, and, you know, maybe you don't want them. And it's, it's hard because, like, I understand the hustle. The hustle is you have to go out, uh, your job is to go out, create these relationships, try things for people, and then follow up. You know, it's a lot of cold calling when it comes down to oh, it. Yeah. Um, and it, that's how it is for a lot of these products. Like, you'll have somebody show up, and, like, the answer's no when the bag opens up. But you yeah. still got to sit there. You're still going to drink everything. You still have to give your opinions on things. Yeah. Um, it's, ex- it's extremely rare that somebody comes in with a new product and you're like, yes, I want that. Let me figure out how to work that into our, right. our, our what we do here. The products don't really make as big of an impact as somebody who is punctual, somebody who's friendly, you can have a conversation with. I think that is like the gift of great liquor reps. Um, something I don't think we have a ton of down here, which is a, one of the reasons why you stand out a lot is because... You heard that. Steve thinks every other liquor rep sucks. Oh, I, no. You know what? I'm going to say I can't really name too many other liquor reps in the city who like boots on the ground moving around. I mean, uh, Jason Coleman with Campari? Yeah, he, he hustles. Yeah, Um I'm on a blank after that, honestly. <laughs> like, like I think hustle is really the right word. I mean, you're launching a vodka brand at a time that vodka is not popular. And I think that people, the perception of a lot of um, reps that work for spirits companies are that they swipe a credit card and they walk out the door. Or, you know, they like come to say hi at events. and what, There's a lot of interest there's an interesting perspective of also what people think of as kind of brand ambassadors and i don't we don't really consider ourselves brand ambassadors because i'm i'm really truly well, you know sales marketing and basically everything for louisiana for cathead but i mean it's not there's also it's not a 9 to 5 you know i work <laughs> not 9 to 5 <laughs> um, at all but you're you're up in the morning before people are up and then you're kind of out of the bars at you know 6 or 7 so it's you know and then you're, you've got events. There's events. There's Saturdays. There's Sundays. It's, you yeah. know, I think the, the thing is, is there's not a lot of dedicated sales, sale, people that view themselves in sales mm-hmm. in these roles. There's yeah. a lot of distributor mm-hmm. reps mm-hmm. and then a few kind of brand ambassadors and kind of right. maybe part-time even. The brand ambassadorship has really been shrinking as well, too, because for a while that right. was you know, a quote unquote out for bartenders. It was like, oh, I'm going to get into brand work. So I'm going to leave the bar behind and I'm just going to travel around and, you know, advocate for these brands that I really love. And I think the marketing dollars are starting to dry up on that a little bit. Like we're not seeing as many as there were as possible. But also I, I feel like in the whole, a lot of those brand ambassadors, like they kind of draw a line and says, I'm not a salesperson. Like I'm here to educate. I'm here to like do this, but I'm not here to sell. Right. And I think at this point too, like, like especially for a smaller brand or regional brands and things like that, if you're passionate about it, you have to be able to do that. You have to grow that brand. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of a a way that the more 
uh, people with a higher opinion of themselves justify doing brand work is mm. by describing it as an educational thing. It's it's sales work. You're, yeah. you're you might not be actively participating in the the transaction, but you are selling that brand. That yeah. is why you exist. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with there's that. People, wrong with you got to you got to market what you do. You, and if you believe in it, then there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. You're right, though. There's definitely. I've talked to a few people that are like, I'm not a salesperson. Like, <laughs> I am a salesperson. What does that mean about me? You know, it's it's. it's well, not I don't a bad know who those people are, me. but we know who you. So there we go. Well, Boom. Yeah. There's the difference. Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. Well, what? Okay. New Orleans Musician Assistance Foundation, among other things, runs the New Orleans Musicians Clinic. Mm-hmm. The New Orleans Musicians Clinic provides direct health care to musicians and other, the workforce that supports live music exactly. broadly. So mm-hmm. other performers, dancers and the like, uh, people who work in venues with live music. What other... What are the other branches of the New Orleans Mu- Musicians Assistance Foundation that are not related to the direct providing of health care to these people? Right. So um, a lot of what we realized after Katrina was that it took a lot of effort to get patients back into the clinic. And um, one of the, you know, low points of living in Louisiana is that we're second, you know, we're constantly rivaling Mississippi um, for last in terms of healthcare indicators. So there's a couple of reasons why that is, but, and we don't have to go into those now, but, um, one of the things that where we can affect change is to connect the mission to, um, enjoy live music with the mission to be healthy. So some of the flagship events that we've done, um, and, you know, particularly relevant to this podcast is our bartender outreach program. Um, so we've done a lot of work in this community over the last couple of years. Um, we always want to have fun, lively events with music that celebrate the culture that we're aiming to serve. So um, we would provide flu shots. We would do, in like one event, we would do flu shots. We would do ear acupuncture. We do insurance navigation, um, physical therapy. It's just because we recognize that um, there's a lot of other people that make this industry tick than the musicians. You're the only reason I've gotten a flu shot the last three years. It's because oh, of, hey. of Shots yeah, for Shots, the annual... I'm an, anti- <laughs> I'm an anti-vaxxer, so... <laughs> don't the even. Earth, the don't even. flat. Well, you know, when I, when I brought this idea, because I'm a lifelong... I'm, my parents own restaurants, and, um, and I, I still hold my job at Snug Harbor um, on Frenchman Street, and I'm a lifelong service industry worker, lover... Um, and, you know, advocate. And what I started realizing as I did more research into the work in history of NOMAF is that um, that same indicator of being missed by the healthcare industry or being able to access the healthcare landscape was being missed by bartenders. They work late nights, mm-hmm. long hours, on their feet, um, not necessarily the greatest of wellness, good night's sleep, <laughs> mental health, um, access to healthy food. So a lot of those same indicators as barriers to healthcare access we're presenting with bartenders. So I, you know, my boss, Bethany Boltman, who founded the clinic, I pulled her aside and I said, you know, we really need to get involved. If we are true healthcare advocates, then we need to be there for the communities that suffer because they can't access it. So that's really when we started um, working in tandem with local brands, local bartenders, to really just bring kind of a baseline wellness to the community and then um, kind of 
teach people how to access the system because New Orleans has so many community health clinics. If the New Orleans Musicians Clinic isn't for you, there's another one right around the corner from your house. So we just wanted to make that information accessible to a group of individuals who we're kind of excluded from it right? You know, for a long time. So well, the system's industry. definitely set up, especially here in Louisiana, almost to like deter people from like getting health care. Or it's so complicated to the point that it is, seems like it's a, a detriment. To, well, and like, bartenders are invincible. You. <laughs> you know, oh, like oh, no, no, no. I, 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 can, uh, I, I can attest that I am not an invincible human being. Um, but so, did, I mean, I can attest that I'm not an invisible human being <laughs> anymore, but I acted like it for like 30 years. Right. Well, it's a high flying lifestyle. Yeah, 20, so. 25 for me, maybe 25. I don't know. Oh, you got up. You got out of there sooner. It's yeah, good for well, you. It's getting better now. Like this is the big year for me right now. Quit drinking, like, you know, taking care of myself, eating lots of vegetables. I don't have health insurance. So I got like, you know, <laughs> I got, I got to make up for steps. it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got to make up for all that other stuff before I get health insurance again. Um, but so what's really interesting, what you're saying is noticing these indicators with bartenders that are, uh, also very relatable with musicians on our last episode. Uh, we were kind of drew this comparison where it's just like, you know, the service industry is broader than a lot of people think. Like, like we want to kind of divide it up into a lot of things, like you know the strippers, the bartenders, the craft bartenders, the hotel workers, the musicians. Like this is all the service industry when it comes down to it. It's one of the major resources in the city. Like when people talk about why you come to New Orleans, it's to eat, it's to drink, it's to see live music, mm-hmm. and um, it's just constantly like when this narrative comes up on this show and in conversation, like in bars, and when you're talking with these people you can relate with, it's just very scary, like how it's an unappreciated resource. Like there's so many measures that are taken. Like there's so many measures that are not being taken rather to support and to foster this, to make this a viable and sustainable resource for the city. Well, one of the reasons we started shots for shots was because we recognize like giving flu shots to bartenders was because we recognize that, um, there was a problem with an upcoming full plate because, you know, restaurants around here are acting on, you know, a total skeleton crew. Mm-hmm. Every time you miss a shift because you're sick, that is a threat to being able to pay your rent. It's a threat to being able to go to the doctor, to buy groceries. So, you know, it was really like in, you know, in support of individuals being able to work with, work in this industry and be healthy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, that was definitely a part of it. And it's something that shouldn't be overlooked because I thought, I think it was like something like 51% of like service industry members have like admitted to going to work very sick. Oh, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, you're handling people's food. Like, you, you know, you're, pop, you're constantly interfacing with the public. You're with your staff mm-hmm. and one, you know, one sick worker can take a whole team down. doesn't right. exist in your industry, just as it doesn't for musicians mm. as well, because, when they miss a gig, they miss the gig. Even so. if you're fortunate enough to work at a place that does have some sort of paid leave, if you work at a hotel or some of the larger corporate environments, you're usually still only getting the hourly portion of your income, which mm-hmm. is only a fraction right. of what you yeah. would be making on a, on a given shift. $5 an hour times 40 hours. Well, I'll, to be fair, most of the places that would have a paid sick leave also have a, a, a higher hourly. Seven twenty-five an hour There you go. 40 hours. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll pay my rent. <laughs> yeah. Better than nothing, though. Yeah. 
Right on. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and jump behind the bar real quick, make a quick drink, maybe featuring a little cat head, maybe featuring something from our fantastic sponsor brands. So we're going to do that. We're going to come back with our two guests and chat a little bit more. We'll see you in a couple minutes. Alrighty, faithful listeners, this is Stevie Mott, and we're about to jump behind the bar again. This week's drink is going to be called Vodka Pays the Bills. It's a little insider joke for a lot of us bartenders out there that basically uh, vodka drinks are super easy to make, and they kind of supplement the bar's income in whole. Uh, Featured in this drink, we will be using Cathead Pecan, Brigetti's Coffee Liqueur, and also a little bit of coconut milk. Um, A nice fatty coconut milk is really good. It's going to work really well in this drink. Uh, this drink is super simple and easy to make. Uh, you can either build it or shake it depending on what texture you're really looking for. If you're looking for something a little more silky, uh, a little uh, a little more liquor forward, then building this on the rocks would be super easy. Maybe one large ice cube and just stir it briefly. Uh, you'd be able to enjoy it a little bit more. Uh, it would be a longer drink that way while you wait for that large ice cube to melt. I personally like this drink to be shaken a little bit. I think a little aeration helps. Uh, it makes that uh, coconut milk a little frothy and creamy. brings all the ingredients together. So, real simply, we're going to take one ounce of our cathead pecan vodka, and we're going to add that to our shaker. This is an equal proportion cocktail, so it's super simple. If you're looking for a stronger drink, you just multiply by how many times you want it to be. One ounce of the Borghetti coffee liqueur, and then one ounce of our coconut milk. And don't worry about the coconut milk, too. Sometimes coconut milk is a little... It, you get that fat cap that's on the top. You don't want all fat. You don't want all liquid. You want a good mix of both of the things. Um, when you get coconut milk, you just give it a hard shake to kind of incorporate everything together. Uh, it can work in a squeeze bottle. You could just scoop it out with a spoon if you need to as well. We're going to add this into a shaker. Give it a nice hard shake. And then we'll strain this into a rocks glass with a large ice cube to keep it nice and cold. No garnish necessary on this cocktail. It's a great after-dinner drink. Um, I think it's uh, fun to substitute instead of using a heavy cream or a half-and-half or a dairy product. Using a coconut uh, milk is really nice, especially for people who are lactose intolerant. And uh, the nuttiness that's from the Cathead Vodka plays especially well with the Borghetti Coffee Liqueur. Anywho, we're going to grab a couple of these, head back out to the patio, and finish up this episode. All right, we are back. Drinks in hand. We're going to talk a little bit more with our excellent guest. We are, in case you're just joining us, which I don't know why that would be happening if you're, you know, it's not, it's not radio. How did you get halfway into this show? Very conscious effort. Yeah, it takes some doing. It takes some doing. Uh, but we're back with Candace Frosch from Cathead Vodka and Erica Dudez from the New Orleans Musicians Assistance Foundation. Um, we, you guys were talking a little bit during the break about how the collaboration between Cathead and Nomaf has sort of a, it's not just the, 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 the money that Cathead does. It's sort of the relationships that, uh, that Cathead has helped Nomaf build by getting in the door of some of these other, some of the places where there is live music and there is you know, drinks be- where there are drinks being served. If, if you guys want to sort of like revisit that for our for our guests now that we've got the recorders on again, uh, Erica, you start. You were starting. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, you know, this this has been years of expanding our outreach, um, especially in local clubs, because so much about what we do is dependent on people knowing about us. Um, we're a nonprofit with no advertising budget whatsoever. So um, a lot of like the work of Candice and Cathead. That, that I've found to be extremely helpful is when you introduce us to a music venue or a 
you know, or a bar or, or an establishment. And you kind of let them know what we do because that serves as a resource for the musicians that work there, for the employees that work there, that they can start relying on us and it, it builds out. I don't know if you want to talk about our yeah. most recent one. Yeah. I guess the, what the, is Bacchanal the most recent? We yeah, did? I think Bacchanal is like the um, most recent. Yeah, I think that kind of talking to the bars about what makes Cathead different and in the community and the music, we kind of sometimes stumble upon, well, we want to help the musicians clinic or how can we work with them or sign up or what programs are there, which is, which is um, definitely something that we've, Erica and I are in, con- in communication a lot, <laughs> um, but yes, uh, we did one at Bacchanal. It was just, we did cocktails and y'all had a table with information and then it was a great event, you know, it was a pretty night, I think, actually, which yeah. always helps for Bacchanal. <laughs> but um, but no, it's, you know, as much as what we're trying to do is obviously sell vodka, but the front of our label says support live music. And um, I think getting the word out and kind of continuing to ingrain ourselves in the community, in the music community, and see kind of how we can help or direct people and, and get y'all involved is, is Lanyap. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm wonderful if we can <laughs> accomplish that as well as sell vodka mm-hmm. yeah it's a real natural fit i'd be interested to know how cathead kind of functions in different markets i mean you know you've got very specific markets at the mo right now that are very like music driven so you're in like mississippi and you guys concentrate in blues you're in new orleans and then we we're talking about texas as well austin has a very bright vibrant music scene Absolutely. but it's got to be a little bit harder if you go to I always do this and I'm going to name some city and then like, I'm sure it's going to insult somebody who's from that city. Um, I, I don't say Fargo, North Dakota. Like you're trying We're to launch. Hey, <laughs> you're trying to launch in Fargo, North Dakota. Let's They've just got say a that. Great scene up there. I don't know, but it's just like, it's, it's gotta be tough at that point too, because like, you know, you miss a little bit of that mission statement where it's like, you know, sure. like I want to, we want to support like part of our whole idea is we want to support local music. It's like, there is no local music here. You know, right. does that make it hard to like expand the brand? So we are in, um, I just counted them out before this because I thought this might come up. We're in a f- 15 states now. Okay. Um, so obviously not all of those states are the epicenter of music. Mm. Um, but we work with New Orleans Musicians Assistance Foundation in Louisiana. We work with kind of different music and arts things, organizations throughout the other markets. So Music Makers Relief Foundation is one that we work with as kind of a broad brush charity. If there's a state that we launch in and maybe they don't have a, a vibrant um, music scene and they're not, they don't have a organization like NOMAF that we feel like is a good fit for us, we work with music makers on a national scale. Hmm. Um, there's musicians everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and more even than just physical musicians everywhere, um, I mean, I can't think of a city that people don't love music in, right? you know? Um, so I think what we do, we work with, uh, Magic City Blue Society, NOMAF. We also work with, um, Yachnatalpa Arts Council in Mississippi, and we do a few different music charities and then music make is, is our big one. So that's, I guess that's cool. what we do. Right on. Um, so I would think that, like, you know, being a liquor brand, it kind of limits some of the charities that you would be able to work with. I mean, I think one of the things that I gravitate towards a lot with uh, charitable music donations is, of course, working with kids, like providing instruments for kids or after-school programming. Um, is that anything you can do with being a vodka brand, being a liquor brand? Like, do you guys do any work with that, or is that kind of a conflict of interest? You want to go for it? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can definitely describe just the... the um 
the experience being on a charitable side, working in the healthcare mm-hmm. um, landscape, because, you know, we've for the longest time had to fine tune this relationship with Cathead to understand, you know, what exactly it would support, what it wouldn't support. Um, just because, you know, in New Orleans, there's some substance abuse issues that are pretty prevalent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you have such a mission driven company like Cathead that really is like, just tell us how we're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. We believe in what you do. There's always a way to support. So whether it's from um, our outreach um, to currently they fund the emergency fund, which is incredible. So the emergency fund at the New Orleans Musicians Clinic, if a patient hurts themselves or if they're undergoing treatment um, for cancer or some, some type of larger health issue, if they're in a health emergency, we can step in and pay their rent or their energy. And so it was really like Candace and I worked out for a long time at the beginning of our relationship, what it would actually look like and what the support of Cathead would mean to local musicians. And it ended up being so much more than direct health services, but more about like making sure that musicians could be on their feet so they could get on that stage. (laughs) And I think that was like part of, it was very much like, by design, I think the way that we made this relationship work. Absolutely. And I mean, as far as, you know, specifically kids, I mean, we try and we're still a spirits brand. We're still a distillery. So we try and, um, under 21 is something we avoid. Um, so that's just kind of how we've done it. If we can work, we, we work with music makers does actually a lot with older musicians that people have, kind of forgotten about but are really legends mm. um, they're incredible they really Tim Duffy are in that organization they you should, do so y'all should much look work. them up if y'all aren't familiar mm-hmm. anyway music talk you got, you got over to, you here got to know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to know don't know nothing um so yeah that's i guess we we do we 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 have to be careful because we are a distillery and mm-hmm. and we do make alcohol yeah. um so that i don't know that it's limiting though it just kind of guides us to a different path right on yeah i remember i used to run a karaoke night um for years um i i'm a really great kj i don't know if y'all know that i i got to <laughs> got to brush off those chops for my birthday with here at 12 mile limits first karaoke night it was a lot of fun it was not our first karaoke night are we doing that after for your birthday <laughs> uh, <laughs> i've got all the recording equipment ready to go but um i remember at one point i wanted to do a fundraiser uh, at the bar that we did a karaoke night for. And it was like, what charity do you want to donate to, towards? And it was Children's Hospital one was I really wanted to raise money for. And I reached out to them and it's just, it wasn't a good fit. It's just like, you know, we can't really like this, for this event, this doesn't make sense to like donate money over here and like, you know, talked about it. And, like, and I was young at the time too, so it was kind of a good way to look about like how you can contribute to the charities that you want to and how you can conti- continue to be like, you know, donating and supporting the causes you want to. Um, and I think that's super important for bartenders because um, I have time and time again have been blown away by the charitable nature of so many people on, in the bars and restaurants and the lengths that they'll go to to you know help people out. Uh, I know so many people have that desire and drive in this industry as well. But when you're working two jobs, when you're working 50, 60 hours a week, you know, you're scraping by, you know, asking for a whole day off to volunteer for something is very difficult. And that's why, you know, with Nomaf and with Cathead, when y'all provide resources where we can go and volunteer, when it's like, if you come into our bar when I'm already working and it's like, I can do this to help support this event, that's extremely helpful. That's something that, you know, with with y'all and with other brands, when we do that, that's a nice way that we can still kind of like give back to the community a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every single time that somebody is educated on what our mission is, who's behind the bar, they can be interfacing with potential patients of ours um, to understand, you know, where their healthcare literacy is. I mean, I think a rising tide lifts all boats. So mm-hmm. when you have a good mission, you know, it's it's about the people that understand it. And I see that. I That's what I'm so thankful about. I mean, that gets back to, like, these important relationships that Kat has made for us in the live music community because we're on the healthcare side of it. We're on the, you know, the social change side of it. Um, and you're out, you know, pounding the pavement and doing it, you know, so it's great. Well, and it's so interesting to me how many people that I encounter and talk to on a daily basis don't know our connection to the Musicians Assistance Foundation um, or the the music aspect of, of kind of our ethos. But it's on the bottle, and I try and talk about it every chance I can. Do you encounter people who are dubious about it? Like they kind of question like, you know, hey, are you really doing this? Like. They're not really. No, no, no um, skeptics out there. I don't know. Who are you talking to? I like, great people. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Um, we have we really haven't had. I had um, someone who was skeptical about. They were like, "Your logo is based on a musicians," and I was like, "Yeah, it's some of Pat Thomas. He's great. He lives in Leland, and he's, you know, we we work with him a lot." And he and he was like, "Well." What do you what do you do? And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, we work, you know. But uh, no, we really don't have any skeptics. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's my it's my smile, I guess. Yeah. Just too busy closing. Yeah. 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 And like, <laughs> it's always got to be which difficult. is good. I mean, yeah, it's always got to be difficult. Just from like you know when it is from the sales sides, and there is like profit that's involved with it. Like it, even in the healthiest relationship, I think that you know there's that there's that small aspect that somebody could just kind of be like well they're just trying to make money when it comes down to it. it's like well there's you can't separate those things like it's like when people want to rag on organizations for like you know it's a non-profit and like they're paying people to like run their company or somebody's making money out of it. it's like well yes you know like it's okay for a for-profit industry to like do really good work right right you know there's not a separation where like non-profits can only do good and for-profits only do bad and again Agreed. non-profits also still need to be in the black if they're going to continue to exist right. you know? <laughs> the, the money still makes it all happen uh, uh, just because you're not turning a profit as your motive you still need to have more money at the end of the year than you had at the beginning or it's unsustainable um okay so we talked a little bit about how the the work that cathead does gets nomaf and the new Orleans musicians clinic in front of more people does it go both ways have you been able to more effectively market cathead because of the relationships that Nomaf brings to the table. Because I imagine there are a lot of places where you are, Eric, where you are, Erica, that Cathead isn't yet, but maybe could be because you're like, oh, you have this door open because of the relationship you have with the musicians or the, the management of a, a venue. Does it, does it, is it mutual? I'm guessing it's mutually beneficial, but is it yeah, direct I mean, in that way? So, yes and no, I guess. Um, Erica is absolutely, if we, we've, we kind of brainstorm every now and then it's like, well, what about this spot? What about this spot? Are y'all there? Are y'all there? Um, and then, you know, that's definitely what we're still working on snug, oh, but yeah. we'll get there. Um, but no, jazz no dudes are quick. Uh, well, the old jazz dudes are quick to change. Yeah. Let me just put it that way. So there's definitely, um, I mean, we definitely kind of brainstorm and, and yeah, we try and figure out if, if there's anything that Erica can kind of help us on. She absolutely does. Um, but then, I think the bigger, I guess, part of that would be the indirect, these events and whatnot that we were able to kind of parlay and, and get, you know, it's, it's helpful for us to have 
um, someone that's so active in the community as our partner um, through kind of who we do our donation for, because that kind of helps. There's, there's a face, there's faces to it. Um, it's real. That's maybe why there's not as many skeptics, right? Because people are familiar with the clinic. Um, they're familiar with the work of NOMAF. And so that just really helps kind of validate what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's definitely a team effort because I think that, you know, what we were talking about earlier is like staying in lanes. It's like, you know, Candace is in the cathead lane. I'm in the NOMAF lane. Yeah. And as long as we just both continue to work and do um to build like the true mission of NOMAF is like my work, you know? So it's really like important for Candace to trust that I'm doing my job on that one. And, you know, so it's, it's not, you know, and it, it's, of, of course it's helpful, but it's, it really warms my heart. Like I was at Compare Le Pen the other day and um, I think I told you about this you did. and um, I just heard the waitress gushing over the New Orleans Musicians Assistance Foundation. And I was like, what is she doing? And like, like who is this? I've never met this person. And, um, and it just, she was selling a cocktail and, you know, but she was so proud that she could sell this cocktail that had such a social impact at the end of the day. And I was just like, yep, that's right. They do it. You know, like, that's, you know, like, and I was able to vouch for it. So it is like a two way street on that way, you know, that it's helpful. All right. One of the things that NOMAF has been very vocal about, which is something that, for uh, it doesn't it doesn't get as much attention as as, as smoking or, or or some of the other issues about sort of the ef- the health effects of the environment of bars and clubs is um, is l- loud noises is 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 basically prolonged exposure to loud environments creating hearing loss that can really affect uh, I, I presume can really affect uh, a musician's livelihood in the long term too. But it's with it. It's not. It's not as people don't think about it in the same way as a, as a, as a long term negative health outcome of working in clubs or or even I'm I'm sure construction work. I mean, there, there's probably other other fields where there people have to deal with it. Um, but there's also a bit of a backlash in the same way that I was against the, the smoking ordinance when it came out. I was initially sort of like there was a negative sort of visceral reaction to the idea that um, we should all be told to keep it down a little bit. It just it, it seemed almost li- more paternalistic in a literal sense in that it's something that a parent would do to their rowdy teenage like turn mm-hmm. down that rock right. and roll music you well so you know it all got tied up with the city as well too like with this overarching noise ordinance there mm-hmm. were so many facets to it that like you know the message got mixed it's not like everything was bad in it but like when there was the aspect of trying to close down like you know these institutional music venues that maybe didn't have proper licensing i mean that set a lot of people on edge right mm-hmm. that that kind of caused a lot of issues and then there's things like you know Bourbon Street's a little bit nicer now that people aren't blasting music across the street from t-shirt shops. Like, that's that's not a bad thing, right? Nobody really needed that in their life. Um, but anyways, how about we let an expert talk um, about well, it? <laughs> anecdotal um, bartender crap over here. <laughs> we decided early on as an organization that we needed to change the channel on the noise ordinance because there were players that were just way out of our control. I mean, you're talking about... Ultimately, a lot of the issues in the noise ordinance were brought in by people who were feeling inconvenienced Mm -hmm. by the fact that there was live music or loud music in their neighborhoods. And that is something that we, we support 100% a musician's right to work. 
um, and a right to play. And we support um, a jillion percent, or that's even a number, but um, it, like the, the ability of New Orleans to be the true music city that it is. However, we do also want to warn that loud noise comes at an expense, especially later in life and especially as technology grows. So um, one of the t- trends that we've seen through our clinic work is that musicians are coming in younger and younger with significant to full hearing loss. Mm-hmm. And even um, people who go to four-year music schools, like to g- who go away to study music in college, they'll come back with significant hearing loss. This is a silent issue. You wouldn't go outside and look straight into the sun. You know, we've learned to put on sunglasses. Um, so this is kind of the public health issue of our time is that we're going to have a lot more people as we get older with full hearing loss. And we were wondering, you know, we, we wanted to kind of stay on that path of understanding that. I mean, there's high schools that right now kids are in band practice, um, in full concrete band rooms with a hundred kids blowing their hearts out, you know? So, um, you have these kind of issues that if people aren't educated around it, because hearing loss is one of those things that doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's really where we chose to stay in the debate because it was just going too crazy. Um, and you know, ultimately, um, the part of it that we're responsible for is having a ear, nose and throat doctor who's willing to, you know, help musicians learn how to preserve their hearing, hearing. Um, we offer patients of the new Orleans musicians clinic, um, custom built ear, like custom ear molds, at no cost. And then, um, we also have a lot of our health outreach at festivals. We're handing out free earplugs for people. Mm. It's not to bum anybody out. It's just to like raise awareness that, you know, practice safe sounds is what we like to call it. It's been interesting. I think (laughs) a a lot of, so I go to a lot of shows. I used to go to a lot. I used to be cool. I used to go to a lot of shows. Um, and (laughs) earplugs were definitely like one of the things where you'd be a little bit disparaged if you decided to like, you know, wear like earplugs to a show. I'm going to nerd out on you guys and uh-huh. talk about this product from Earpiece that they just donated a bunch of to the New Orleans Musicians Clinic. It fits on your keychain. Earplugs have come a long way. Um, these actually take things down just by 10 decibels, and oh. they're invisible when you wear them. So um, I've been pushing these to bartenders because while we were talking about it on the break, it's like when you're seated next to a loudspeaker that's playing and you have so much bar noise, it's easy to go home with your ears ringing and i thought did you say you had tinnitus yeah it's not it's not uh it's not um constant but every now and then my ears ring and it's like i'm i'm sure that it's because i've spent a lot of time in in going to shows or going to be in loud bars and that's that yeah i live with that yeah what is is it again tinnitus it's just it's it's ringing in the ears it's a faint ringing in the ear i've been sneaking behind cole just ringing a bell But, um, but yeah, him. and honestly, I've, I I haven't, but you can you can effectively work with with earplugs in, and I've heard other bartenders who use them more religiously on the on one nights when Twelve Mile Limit gets louder. Uh, we have DJs some nights, and it's not usually a, a din in here, but sometimes it gets a, it gets pretty loud. And that the bartenders who would use them here um, 
found it because I would always worry that it would make it harder to communicate with the guests if you're reducing with the background noise. You're also reducing all of the noise. But uh, he he said that he found it easier to communicate with the guests directly. So you're looking at them. You're seeing that you're watching their mouth move. It's just easier to understand somebody when you're looking them face to face. But with all of the background noise reduced, he he found it easier to communicate with guests with the earphone earplugs in than he did when he was just had his ears wide open, I guess, for lack of a better term. I'd say that was probably a, a really good saving grace for me was, like, getting into craft cocktails. Uh, because before that, it was, like, you know, a lot of late-night bars, a lot of, like, uh, a couple clubs and things like that. Like, high-volume, very loud, like, music. Um, I'd imagine if I was still doing that for, like, the last 10 years, probably my hearing would be pretty bad. But cocktail bars got so quiet. <laughs> um, like one of the things we were talking about during the break, which is interesting that um, somebody brought up to me, is that bartenders tend to have hearing loss in one of their ears because we predominantly shake over one of our ears and just the loud sound of the ice like hitting like metal on metal tins is like really starting to damage people's hearing and so I've actually because of that I've moved my shake down away from my like ear just so it's like a little bit further away so it's not like doing that but yeah quiet cocktail bars saving my hearing <laughs> <laughs> one cocktail at a time one cocktail one stirred one quiet cocktail at a time well Delicious just Bristol gin cocktail for time. the listeners who are interested um you can download a decibel app to your phone so you can understand when it's the high decibels are becoming a problem anything over 90 minutes or 90 decibels um in a long time exposure you want to just step away from give your ears a chance to rest go to mm-hmm. a quiet place that's an easy way to recharge and be preventive um wearing earplugs is a great idea and then also um just not standing next to any direct speakers or noise yeah. sources because you wouldn't go and stand in front of a jet plane right you know and that's ultimately the go sit in the balcony out of show now right go <laughs> sit in a balcony far well, away where you hit like good as someone sound. who goes to a lot of shows for personal and work pleasure um i like i find them just really important Mm. because it varies with people's level of responsibility (laughs) there i tried once because i i like going to movies and i like occasionally splurging and going to the largest loudest (laughs) possible Mm -hmm. movie option available if it's something big i will see it on the imax and so i was like okay i'm gonna take earplugs to this imax screening so i don't just like get blown away because i I like the like the immersive quality of it but it's also just like too much sometimes um, but I know I'm an old man. Just overwhelmed by the technology. I'm overwhelmed by the noises. But I was in. I tried it and I couldn't eat because it was. It made chewing oh, yeah. so noisy yeah. that I had. To, it was. It was. I couldn't follow the movie. It was too distracting. You have to huh. finish your popcorn. Yeah, and then put your earplugs. Yeah, in. just go back what and forth. Complicated movie. What a, what a great tip. It, it, it would have ruined Ant Man. <laughs> oh, that's that's weird. What, what what better movie to see in the largest format possible than the one about the microscopic superhero? It's the only way to even follow what was going on, right? You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, cool. I think that's going to kind of bring us to the end of our show, y'all. Um, we like to wrap up uh, around with Stephen Cole with a segment we call uh, Parting Shots. It's just our opportunity for our guests to reintroduce themselves, tell us the good work they're doing in their life, and also to maybe mention any up-and-coming events that are happening. So why don't we go ahead and start with you, Erica? Um, my name is Erica Dudas. I'm the managing director of the New Orleans Musicians Clinic and Assistance Foundation. Um, we have a bunch of jazz fest shows coming up. One in particular is Bayou Rendezvous at the Howlin' Wolf. Um, it's um, it starts at eight and goes until seven in the morning. It's pretty awesome. So cool. Yeah. And if anybody happens to hear this and is local and is looking for ways that they can contribute to NOMAF, either with volunteer or with a donation or something like that. How could they do that? You can go to our website. It's neworleansmusiciansclinic.org. 
Um, there's lots of information there. There's a volunteer sign up. Uh, we always need volunteers to work special events um, and for a lot of different reasons. And then there's also a place to donate there. Cool. So would that be the same uh, portal for people who want to get services from the clinic as well, not just people who want to offer their services to the clinic? Um, we're right in... In the next month, we're going to be launching an online patient registration portal. But right now, if you wanted to register for services at the Musicians Clinic, you would just call 412-1366, um, which is the LSU hotline, and tell them that you want to speak to Megan McStravick about being a new patient. Cool. You can also email me at erica at nomap.org. Candace, what you got for us? Who are you again? Who are you? Who are you? I am Candace Frosch. How do these people not know who you are? With Cadet <laughs> Distillery. I don't know everybody, Steve. Not yet. Um, <laughs> but please drink Cathead Vodka, Bristow Gin, and Hoodoo Chicory Liqueur. Um, you will literally be paying my mortgage. We're a small, <laughs> independent company. We're not owned by anybody. So there's, you know, 15 of us. And um, if you drink Cathead, you are also helping Nomaf. Um, we have two upcoming events. We've got one at Paradigm Garden, which is in Central City. It's a cocktail competition. Um, the event is May 16th, Wednesday, May 16th. Uh, we're partnering with Rulaison, which is a local rum distillery. Um, if you're a bartender listening, then you can feel free to enter the competition. Um, you can go and do your entry at com slash Paradigm Cocktail. Um, and then we have one other event. I'm all about the events today, guys. Um, we have a big, it's our third year. We have a cat head jam. It's at the distillery. It's, um, a good lineup. We've got JJ Gray and Mofro, Moon Taxi, Hardworking Americans, blah, blah, blah. But check it out. Um, catheadjam.com is the info. You could also find it through catheaddistillery.com. Um, and if you need cat head in your bar, please call me. Right on. Are there any particularly delicious cat head cocktails out there at any local bars that you're enjoying? Oh gosh, the way to put me on the spot. Yeah, there's right. actually I'm um, this the one here at Twelve Mile is all right, crazy delicious. Um, it's a frozen <laughs> cocktail with hypnotic cat head honeysuckle vodka, lemon. And Orjat. And Orjat. Yeah. Oh, so That's the brain medicine, people. That's yep. the brain medicine. People dig it. Um, I sell a lot of it. <laughs> it's a, it's, it tastes like Capri also, Sun. Also, my favorite yeah. cocktail to make. You just pull a handle and put a straw in it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. No, we have we have a lot of amazing supporters around the city. So um, if you're at your local watering hole, just ask for some cat head. Perfect. All right. Sounds good. Uh, right on. Um, really glad to have both of you on. Thanks so much. Um, been, you know, very familiar and very supportive, hopefully as much as I can, of no math as possible. Candace, I think I've said enough nice things about you, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Thank so you all for your time. Appreciate it. Too creepy. What you got for us, Cole? Uh, I think you said it uh, for both of us. We, we really appreciate the hard work that both of you do. Um, and our, thank you for, for joining us here today. Right on. That's going to do it for us here on Around with Stephen Cole. I'm Steve Yamato. I'm T. Cole Newton. And we will catch you next time. Cheers. Theme music for Around with Stephen Cole is by Derek Freeman. Support for Around with Stephen Cole comes from Infinium Spirits, a family-owned spirits company specializing in the import, sales, and marketing of its distinctive portfolio of brands. Infinium Spirits, igniting brands. Thanks again to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers. I can tell by your face.